Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Hey, listeners, welcome to another mashup. I've got a great uh, two guests here for you to listen to. And what this mashup is all about is us taking snippets from different episodes that we've had over the period of time and actually sharing that with you. Because you see, some of you may not have actually heard the other episodes that are already in the podcast. And so this is to give you a little bit of a taste of what was actually shared in that episode. And then if you're really interested, for you to then go back to the actual episode to listen to the full um, the full recording. And I think it's uh, worthwhile doing it. Now, on this week's mashup uh, for, for this uh, episode, I have two great guests uh, from episode 278. That's episode 278 is Dr. Diane Hamilton. And the episode title there is Leadership is Being Curious. And that word curious is fantastic. I think it's a, it's a really strong word and one that a lot of leaders should be using a lot more of. And then from episode 279, I interviewed a guy called David Wood, and it's Lean Into Your Fears. And um, if you can go back and listen to the episode, he shares some really interesting things about fear and how he had to lean into it and how he's had various accidents. Um, so it's worthwhile having a listen to that episode as well. So listeners, I'm going to encourage you now to sit back and relax and enjoy. Who's your favorite leader and why? That's an interesting question, just because I'm drawn to somebody who I wouldn't even want to work for. There's a difference between who I'd want to read about and who I'd want to work for, I think. <laughs> because I love to read about Steve Jobs. I just found find him endlessly fascinating. And actually, I did talk to uh, Daniel Goldman about him on the show because I wanted to know what his opinion was of his emotional intelligence, you know. And he was saying he thought he was great at achievement motivation and goal setting, which are parts of it. But he was horrible at empathy, right, which is another part of it. So we can be good at some parts of emotional intelligence and not so great at others. For me to want to work for somebody, respect is important. And I don't see he yep. would be very good at giving me much respect as an employee. I don't know. Just from what I've read, I've never met the guy. And now I don't, you know, of course you can't. But if people I've met who I would like to work for, Keith Kroc, I mentioned, Incredible from DocuSign. Doug Conant, I've interviewed him several times. He, he turned Campbell's soup around from their engagement, was in the tank, and he totally brought it around. He wrote 30,000 plus handwritten notes to everybody to really tie into that empathy. Yep area. So there's so many people who have been on my show and I'm thinking, you know, it's really hard to just pick 
one, but I do love to read about Steve Jobs. He fascinates me. So if you sat on a park bench uh, with Steve Jobs, if you ever had that opportunity, if there was one question you wanted to ask him, what do you reckon you might ask him? Uh, you know, there's two different Steve Jobs. There's the Steve Jobs before he was fired, and <laughs> there's yeah. the Jobs who came back. I think it'd be easier to ask the second Steve Jobs questions. I would like to know that from the second Steve Jobs, what humbled him or what changed him and what he learned from that experience and what mm. you would have done differently. Yeah, that, that's a huge question. That's awesome. I, I'd love to uh, know that too. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, very good. Now, the show here, Diane, is called Leadership is Changing. Now, when I mention that title of the show or that saying, what does that mean to you? Leadership is changing. It means, well, you know, it's funny. One of my first speaking engagements was for Forbes, and they had me speak about the future of the workplace and what to expect. Ah. And it was based on generational differences. So I guess from early on, I was always looking at the changing workplace and what was going to be happening, not just for leaders, but in in general. I mean, we've seen more generations than ever before all working together, you know, so that was a big change. So change is just the only constant, right? We know that. I teach a lot of courses on leadership change. I've taught thousands of online courses now. I stopped counting after a thousand. (laughs) It's really high. And a lot of them are based on leadership change. And The thing is, we think that we're all up for this challenge. I had a lot of crisis readiness experts on my show and all this before COVID. And now we found out that maybe we weren't so prepared, right? So we think that we're ready for change until the real change happens. And so I think having foresight is the hugest thing. Anybody who's read Stephen Covey's Seven Habits knows the first habit is be proactive and being proactive is really having foresight and thinking and beginning with the end in mind and all the things that he wrote about in in his day. It It was a classic. And we need to get out of status quo thinking. For me, that's what I talk a lot about with curiosity. It's not really about asking a million questions or reading a million books. It's really a combination of things. And one of the biggest combination that in that combination, I should say, is status quo behaviors need to be looked at. Because just because we've done it right in the past, and mm-hmm. it worked great then, it doesn't mean it's going to work well in the future. Ask Kodak or Blockbuster or any of the companies who kept doing things that worked great in the past, right? So we've seen the research. We've seen the woman that goes into the doctor's office and they ring the bell and she's, you know, the people around her are, are actors and they just stand up and sit down every time the bell rings that she eventually stands up and sits down when the bell rings without knowing why. We're all standing up and sitting down and we don't know why for a lot of the things that we're doing. And I think we need to take a look at what things are we doing just because it worked in the past that maybe won't be working again in the future and be like Ben and Jerry's who when their ice cream is no longer successful, they give it a burial on their website. They have little headstones on one of their web pages that shows this flavor was great from this year to that year, but we've celebrated it. We think it was great for its time, but we move on. Yep. That's cool. And I love what you say about the status quo and getting out of that because I think a lot of people today is that they A, don't think and B, they don't take time to think and C, they will just follow others. And I'm like, and you're the, the person you're talking about standing up, sitting down and so forth. You're so right. And I think a lot of leaders need to actually do the thinking and actually get out of that status quo. Absolutely. And it's interesting how you said that we, you know, we don't, we thought we were ready from a crisis side of things, but then when it actually happened, we weren't. And, you know, that's not the last one. I think there'll be other things coming too in the future. And so are we ready for that as well? 
you're so right. What you're saying too is that change is constant. It's probably the only thing that's constant at the moment is change. And yeah, we need to really face that as uh, really important for us to think about that. Who's your favorite leader and why? Yeah, I just before we hit record, I thought of someone who really impressed me recently. And I only had like, I was only in the room with him for 20 minutes, but I'm going to call him out. He's the executive director of Colorado Prisons. So all prisons in Colorado, and his name's Dean Williams. And I was teaching, I was leading a training for prison inmates in leadership, really. We didn't call it that, but it was leadership, relational leadership. Right. And he came into the room and my my director had been trying to get him to come and see our stuff for two years. So this was a big deal that he took an hour on his Sunday. He drove an hour on his day off to come and sit in prison and listen to what we had. And I said, oh, no pressure (laughs) as he came into the room. And I did a reveal, which is a great leadership move. I said, I notice I want to say something profound and mind-blowing right now to impress him. But then he sat down and he started speaking and we gave him the floor. And what a leader. Like I was sold on him in the first 10 minutes. He started speaking about his vision and he was transparent. He said, I want to turn around this huge ship and I'm getting a lot of resistance. I'm getting a lot of pushback from the old guard. This is not an easy job and I need your help. And he was speaking to each of those women inmates. I need your help. He said, by you learning this training and applying this training in your time here, you are going to cause trouble. You're going to make waves, but it's a good kind of trouble and I want it. And you can't just rely on me to do it. I need you to help. So he really enrolled the whole room. And then he did a a couple more reveals that, that were quite personal. He mentioned a coworker, a female coworker, how there was a moment between them and a moment of celebration and they had a hug. And he just really went into about like what that was like for him as a man and as the boss. And I thought, A lot of people, particularly in a hierarchy like that, where you've got the top dog executive director, not just the warden of that prison, but in charge of all prisons, speaking to inmates, and he basically kind of got on their level and said, I need your help. And then to share something personal had me trust him more. So I was. So I even sent an email later on to him saying, I'm sold on you and I want to support you in this huge task you've taken on. If you're interested in coaching, let me know. So he'd be my latest favorite leader because of how he showed up in that room. Brilliant how he was vulnerable, but you know, I mean, that's massive. And also to enlist them to actually help him move his leadership team and, and help his leaders. Wow. That's, that's huge. Yep. He was vulnerable and yet he didn't collapse. Yeah, exactly. Nice. So this is a distinction that I think could be super useful for our listeners interested in being an amazing leader. And this is the distinction between, it's called the humility dignity spectrum. And I was missing this until three years ago and it's amazing. So if you think of the spectrum of where you can be as a human, dignity is a place to stand, which says my voice matters. You don't have to follow me, but my voice matters and I need to be heard. That's dignity. And that's a power position as a leader. And figure from history, we often think about Martin Luther King. I have a dream, Mm -hmm. right? Hear me out. Then at the other end of the spectrum, if there's a piece of paper, I imagine dignity on the right-hand side and on the left-hand side of the paper is humility. Humility is a place to stand that says all voices matter. 
I'm here to listen. And that's also a very powerful position and a figure from history. We sometimes talk about Mother Teresa. I'm here to listen. I may not say much, but you can lead from that position too. Then in the middle, you've got a nice balance. That's also a power position. All of these are power positions. That's equanimity or composure where, yes, my voice needs to be heard and I'm going to listen to everything you've got to say. And Gandhi seems to be a nice figure from history where had a voice, listen to my vision, and I'm going to listen to everybody. Now, there are two positions you do not want to be at on this spectrum. If we go past dignity on the right, we go past my voice matters into the shadow of dignity. These are not power positions. We need to know what these are so you can catch yourself and go, oh, that's where I was in that meeting. And in the shadow of dignity might be things like arrogance, I know everything, domination, dictatorship, railroading, shaming people. And I would say whether or not you support Trump, I think a lot of people would not see him as a real humble listener. I think a lot of us could agree that he tends to go in the shadow of dignity a lot. Whether or not that's right or wrong, there's a lot of, I'm right, you're wrong. It's very clear to see. I'm not comparing him to this next person, just another person that's often considered in the shadow of dignity, Hitler. Now, on the other, you might get some some emails about this. On the other end of the spectrum, in the shadow of humility, if you go too far past humble, you can over-apologize. You can collapse. You can be victim where people need, they feel like they need to support you. You shame yourself. Guilt. You're feeling guilt. Like I felt guilty yesterday because I told my dog it's okay to jump out of the car. She was still clipped into the restraint. So she's like hanging And I imagine it was a terrifying experience for her. I felt so much guilt. Mm -hmm. That's the shadow of humility. There's no real value to that. I apologized. I said, look, I'm going to try and make sure that never happens again. But I was in the shadow of humility. So there's the humility, dignity spectrum. As a leader, find where you are normally. Are you too much in the listening and you're not speaking up? Okay, move back towards the center with some dignity and speaking up? Are you constantly speaking and not checking in with your staff to say, how does that land for you? What do you think? Do you have everything you need? If you disagreed with me, do you feel safe enough to tell me? Like these are ways you could move towards humility. Yep. So I love this. I just love this tool. Thank you so much for sharing that because I think it's beautiful in the way you've shared it and also the context that you've given us, the examples of different leaders. And there are so many leaders that we could look at versus the both sides and where they're at at any one time. I and mean, I think for listeners, it's understanding, as you said, where you are at any one time and then adjust and then move from there rather than being stuck where, where you are. And yeah, so I think there is, there's so much to be shared there. So good. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's really, really cool. And I love what you say. All voices matter. Yeah, you're welcome. And look, hopefully, listeners, you'll find when you're not speaking up, you'll feel it in your body like as an integrity issue. And this is what I got out of the landmark course, the SELP or the Self-Expression and Leadership Program. Feel it as off. I coached a client yesterday and he said he thinks what he's, he doesn't really have a clear mandate to direct the people under him. He has it on paper, but he's been more like a buddy and collaborative. So he doesn't really have a clear mandate to say, hey, no, you have to let the person go. I'm making the call. Yep. And I said, is that okay with you? Like, are you okay to watch it happen, watch it fold out and see the damage that you think is going to happen to the company? Is that okay with you? If it is, okay, pick your battles. But it seemed like it wasn't. So it was an integrity issue. And what he needed was more dignity to speak up and say, hey, I need to have another round on this. 
I'm going to try and enroll you in my way of thinking so that you're on board. But at the end of the day, if that doesn't happen, I'm going to make the call and I need you to back it as if it's your own. Now that's composure. You're basically listening. You're wanting to enroll. You're wanting to get on side, but you're taking a leadership position and saying, this is actually my call and I'm going to do it. I need you on board. Is that, are you good with that? And another quick example, I noticed yesterday I was feeling unhappy with an experience I had with a doctor. Took three weeks to get the appointment, had the appointment. The doctor said, all right, I'll do an email with the test we're going to do. Went on vacation for two weeks. Oh. Never got the email. I realized I'm not happy with that. And here I am not speaking up. So I was kind of, I'm in the, I guess I was in the shadow of humility. I was like, I'd already said, hey, I'm looking for the email. And they said, sorry, she's not back for two weeks. We apologize. But I needed to say more. I needed them to know the impact of it and that I felt let down and I needed to make a request. So that was me moving from the shadow of humility back towards dignity. Now, I'm not being overbearing. I'm not insisting on anything. That doesn't feel right for me. I just needed my voice to be heard. So there's a little micro example. And hopefully, listeners, you'll feel it in you like, wait a minute, I need to speak up on this. People don't have to do what I say, but I need to be heard. Yep. David, I think that the reason I had the tumor that I told you about before was because my voice wasn't being heard and I wanted to have something and and then a result of that, right? And so one of the reasons for doing this podcast is to have that voice being heard, but also having my guests voice being heard and helping our listeners create those skills and capabilities to be able to have their voice being heard as well. And hence why I started it. Yeah, I love that. Self-expression is such a high value for me. Just be you in the world. Can you be more of you in the world? And that takes some skill. It takes some art. But I'm writing a book about it right now called Mouse in the Room because the elephant is not alone. We need to spot these other animals in the room and name them so that we can be seen and heard. In fact, in that email that I sent today to the doctor, I said, this is in service of me feeling seen and heard. So they understood why I was doing it. I wasn't trying to make anyone feel bad. It was just like, this is, that's a value in and of itself. Just be seen and heard. Life gets better. Generally, life gets better. That's cool. Very, 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 very cool. The the show, as we said before, Leadership is Changing, that's the, the title of the show. When we talk about the title or that saying, or what does it mean to you? What comes up for me, and I read, I read your question in the, in the pre-interview stuff, you know, the classic thing, and this might even be cliche by now, is that leadership used to look like someone who had all the answers. I think that was more an authoritarian style of leadership. And I think my understanding is that it's been moving more and more to a more collaborative style and a less hierarchical style. And the best leaders today might be the ones who don't have the answers, but they have the right questions. And so I love the phrase, be a kingmaker, not a king. I love it. That's how I think it's, that's one way. I I have another way, but I'll stop to see if you want to say anything about that. I like it. Be a kingmaker, not be the king. Is that is what you're saying? Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's very good. And also love what you just said there. That's, that's really, really important here, listeners. Leadership used to look like someone who had all the answers, but it's not actually that. It's actually not having the answers, but actually having the right questions or being able, having the ability to ask quality questions. And I, and I, Dave, what I say is that the quality of your life, your business and everything you do comes down to the quality questions you ask. And I think there's a lot of leaders who don't know how to ask those questions, or there are people in life, in business, that make statements. And if you look below that statement, there's no substance. And But leaders aren't, or people aren't asking questions to go, well, actually, what does that mean? 
Yeah. It's a hard transition for some people. And I've coached quite a few executives now. I decided to get into it to see what that was like. So I coached some VPs at Warner Brothers and Salesforce. And the thing that got them promoted was that they were a rock star. They were a hero. They were able to like get shit done and they probably did it themselves. So then they get promoted and it's like, well, look, you did well at that. So now help these other hundred people or or 10 people or a thousand people to shine. And it's like, wait a minute, I need a whole new skill set now. I need to ask questions. I need to be collaborative. I need to ask people, what do you think your targets should be this year? And then this month, bring them to me. We'll, we'll work them out. We'll, we'll pick something that's a stretch for you. So I think for people who are used to, and I'm one of them, I love having the answer. I love, I was always that kid in class. I love having the answer. So it's, it's a constant challenge for me in coaching to not give my opinion or the answer. And I don't always succeed at it. And to, I'll flip it back and say, what do you think? Like my client today said, I don't know what's next this week. And I said, well, if you did know, what would it be? Or what's one thing that has to happen very soon? And then she was like, oh, oh, okay. And then between us, we managed to come up with it. But yeah, that's a big transition. And the second thing that I think is that I hope is changing about leadership, and I think Brene Brown is a strong influence in this, is showing that vulnerability is a strength. So instead of, and I've been on this warpath for, or warpath is the wrong, I've been beating this drum for 20 something years, ever since I did the Landmark Forum and I saw a forum leader get up on stage and on the third day of training us, he said, I'm terrified of people. And firstly, I was like, wow, you've chosen this as a profession and you do this out of service, even though you're terrified of people. So it blew me away. But secondly, I was like, wait a minute, you can say that? You can say that to a room full of people? My whole life I've been hiding stuff like that, not even admitting it to myself. So for 20 so since then I've been constantly telling on myself. I tell about anxiety and and depression. I talk about using substances like sugar and TV and video games and and cannabis and alcohol to try and change my state and feel up. I try and tell on myself as much as possible and ideally from a place of dignity and not shame and guilt and collapse so that other people can get that it's okay to be how you are. And a classic example, and I think this is from Brene Brown, you're not going to go to a boardroom as the CEO and say, we're running off a cliff. I'm freaking out. We're going under. We've got no plan. You're not going to do that. You do that with your coach. You do that with your close friends, with your therapist. And then you go to the board and with dignity might be something like, some of you may be scared in this current climate. I wouldn't blame you. Sometimes I am too. We don't have all the answers yet, but we are working on a plan and together we will find our way through, right? So you find your way back to dignity. So I hope and think that that's a transition that's happening, that people are being more real as leaders, they're sharing more so that people can be more connected with them and trust them and go, oh, you're a real person. Hey listeners, I hope you enjoyed that mashup with Diane Hamilton, Dr. Diane Hamilton and David Wood for episode 278 and 279. I loved it when Diane talked about that. You know, we think we're ready for a crisis or a change until that that first major change happens. 
And so sometimes, you know, we need to get out of the status quo and think differently and challenge things as well. And then what David shared as well around the best leaders don't have the answers. They ask great questions. And you see the old leadership was where we needed to have all the answers, where that's not actually true today. And what's actually quite interesting here is be a kingmaker, not a king. And um, I think it's wonderful what he's shared as well. So once again, I'm going to encourage you to go back to episode 278 and 279 to listen to Dr. Diane Hamilton and David Wood, because they have shared some beautiful insights. And if you can take those insights and then take them and put them in place for you and help you grow as a leader, then it's all been worth it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 